This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters, Greg Bench, Trey Whetstone, Amy Swan, Gil Manjul Robertson, and Blake from Midweek Matinee. Thank you all. Now on to the episode. Welcome to episode 56 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings. I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host... Jackson the Sun, five-time featherweight co-ed arm wrestling champion at your service. <laughs> we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And for this episode, we are contributing, continuing our tribute to the Italian great Dario Argento on the month of his 80th birthday with his 1976 Giallo film, Deep Red. Let me ask you something. Did you move anything or change something around or take anything away from here? Maybe that painting was made to disappear because it represented something important. Something so important you don't even realize it. Important. Important. That painting. Ah! What was that? I don't know who you are, but you gotta help me. There's somebody in the house. I'm absolutely trying to kill me, you know? Do this right, we're going to need some help. So we called in a big gun, Mr. Trey Whetstone. How are you, Trey? Great, guys. How you doing? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. So, Trey, I take it you are an Argento fan. Yeah, Argento is one of my favorite horror directors. So really? I've, yeah, I've seen almost everything by him. I haven't seen some of the stuff um, when we get into the aughts in the right. 90s. But, um, yeah. Awesome. Ah, absolutely. So, and Trey, do you remember the first time you saw Deep Red? Uh, yeah, it was probably around 2012, I think. Okay. Um, I got into Argento with Suspiria, and I think this was the next one I watched after that. That's not a bad order to go. Uh, Jackson, what about you? When did you first see Deep Red? So I watched this for the first time last year, I think, on Shudder, but I don't think I appreciated it as much as I do now. Uh, actually, in preparation for this, I watched the movie twice, uh, once last night and then once again today with Joe Bob on Shudder. So like by my estimates, that's over 250 minutes of deep red in two days. So I think <laughs> I'm, I'm, very, I'm very prepared for this episode and very excited because this is one of my favorite Argento films. Awesome. Well, I saw this on VHS back in the late 80s, and uh, this was really the movie that made me fall in love with Argento, because all I'd seen before was Suspiria. You never know about one movie, but after following up with this, oh boy. So if you haven't seen this, folks, and shame on you if you haven't, and it is streaming on Shudder, 
The IMDb synopsis reads, a jazz pianist and a wisecracking journalist. Does anybody use the term wisecracking anymore? Wisecracking journalists are pulled into a complex web of mystery after the former witnesses the brutal murder of a psychic. Well, all right, let's talk about the plot and screenplay here, folks. So, in short, we have Marcus. He witnesses the murder of a psychic, Helga. His photo is published as an eyewitness and is tracked down by the leather-gloved killer. And as Marcus and the reporter Gianna look into it, the killer in true giallo uh, style starts knocking people off left and right. So, Trey, let's start with you. I I, I will go ahead and spill the beans. I love this movie, too. But is Gianna the worst reporter in the world? (laughs) I think there's a lot of worse professions in the world in this. Um, If we're talking about the police that hardly do anything in this or... So, so everyone's incompetent is what you're saying. Everyone yeah. but Marcus pretty much is incompetent. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> because she, I mean, who puts an eyewitness photo on the front page of your paper? You're just asking for the poor guy to get knocked off. I mean, man, oh man, oh man. So, uh, um, also, but I have to say this as much as I like Marcus isn't exactly the sharpest tool in the shed either because it does take him a minute to realize what we all know, which was, oh, wait, Carlo was with me when I saw the murder. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so that doesn't work so well. But anyway, despite the plot holes, and there are others like who in the world couldn't smell daddy's corpse to a drywall, but I, I still love this movie uh, despite the plot holes, I like the characters. I like Marcus. I like Gianna. I like Carlo, who in many ways seems to be the most sympathetic character. Trey, what about you? Yeah, um, I think the characters are great in this, um, especially the lead in this. I think he does a really great job carrying the movie. Um, so he's actually himself when he's performing it because the weird, you know, Italian dubbing. Uh, yeah i think uh, daria nicolodi is played by i think i looked it up carolyn de fonseca mm-hmm. does the english version um and i think she does a pretty good job dubbing over that so i overall really like the characters in this one yeah i did too what about you jackson i agree 100 percent. this is the one of the strongest uh argento casts i think of characters because usually um I don't really care for the lead. It's the secondary characters that interest me. But I think that Marcus is a really cool character. Um, he's kind of this oddball British fellow in this Italian cast. So he, he kind of sticks out like a sore, a sore thumb. But he's got lots of physical comedy, especially in his scenes with Gianna, especially in the car scene, uh, which I loved. It almost turns into a Monty Python sketch. It's like Argento was like, <laughs> let's do some comedy. And I was watching Joe, Joe Bob Briggs talking about Argento's forays into comedy, often to disastrous results. And uh, I think, honestly, that might have been unintentional because if his intentional comedy is that bad, I actually laughed during that scene. Yeah, he does put some intentional comedy. I think it, I think it works okay because it's not... Mm-hmm. I don't think, Trey, it doesn't strike me as so over the top that it's ridiculous. It's just a little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just uh, just goes a little bit. doesn't go full on there. Yeah. Um, speaking of over the top, though, when we're talking about characters, the psychic there in the beginning. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> with the reading. I, I couldn't have thought of anything more Italian horror than that. All that red in that room and the psychic just going off and 
It was perfect. Oh, that scene was great. Yeah, Helga. Uh, Helga's mannequin not so good when she goes through the window, but Helga herself. <laughs> yeah, she's. But you know what? It's it's one of those things where yeah, it's kind of like the Jim Carrey school of overacting to a degree, but it kind of fits that character, don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. And especially if you're a psychic, you know, in the seventies in Italy, you're probably pretty over the top anyway. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What did you think of Helga Jackson? I thought she was going to stick around. See, I didn't remember anything about this. And I was like, oh man, he's really building her up. She is going to be a main player. She's getting so much dramatic screen time. And then she's gone in a very dramatic fashion, uh, as, as is due to her character. Um, I loved what we saw of her. That scene, as you mentioned, she's in this giant red auditorium, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's why they call it Deep Red. Well, we, we expand on that later, but I, I, I kind of got it for the moment. Um, she is definitely acting it up, overacting a bit. Kind of reminded me of Fulci a little bit, uh, especially that one character, the blind lady. She kind of acted the same way, where she's moving with her hands, and she's screaming, and her entire body is jerking. For some reason, Italian cinema loves to utilize that type of character. Um, but yeah, it was quite shocking to me when she was killed off in such a, a dramatic and very on-screen way, uh, perhaps to the detriment of the seriousness of this movie, uh, how on-screen that mannequin was. But um, I don't know. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it, too. And let's just go ahead and, and bring another character in, then we can talk about what I think is a, a heavy influence on this. And I think this also plays into Helga. Let's talk about Carlo's mother, Martha, um, who ends up being the slightly less over-the-top version of Aunt Martha from Sleepaway Camp in many ways. <laughs> um, you know, so is it me or, um, Trey, you go first here, a little bit of a psycho influence? Oh, absolutely. And every time she's like, oh, the engineer. Yeah. No, oh, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> no i'm a pianist you can just tell from the from the beginning oh i i love that performance as well yeah absolutely so what did you think of the mother there jackson and did you think that there was a psycho influence did you catch that while you were watching oh definitely yeah i think harlow and uh his mother is it's definitely supposed to be like norman and norma uh though slightly different because uh the mother is actually alive in this one and it's not uh, Carlo playing both parts, though that would have been very interesting and might have explained something that I have issue with in the movie. Uh, but I loved her even before she was her big reveal, which we'll get into later. Even before big reveal, I loved her character just because she felt like uh, some some great some great relief of tension that we really needed. She seriously felt like uh, that, like you said, the, the character in, in Sleepaway Camp, where she can't get anything right. She's so ditzy, but also she's so enthusiastic and she, she's so, uh, you know, loving. But um, the reveal was really what turned her character for me and took this uh, one bit performance to the next level for me. So I'm guessing, Jackson, I'll follow up, Trey, with you. That maybe an issue you might have is that I'm I'm guessing this movie would not be selected by the LGBTQ community to uh, uh, for sensitivity training. Is that is that an issue you had with it? <laughs> Somewhat, yeah. It, it's not. It, listen, listen. Okay, it's Argento. We talked about this with Cat and Nine Tails. 
his politics were complicated because he was all about pushing gender boundaries and, and female empowerment. But also the way he handled the LGBTQ community was not in a very sensitive manner, um, especially with some of the writing in this movie. There's a couple lines. But um, I don't know. I felt like this handled it better than Cat of Nine Tales, so that isn't saying much. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Argento's all over the place. Uh, Trey, what about you? Yeah, I think Jackson hit the nail on the head there. It's just, it was, you know, it's just way, it's like it's out of a time capsule. If you watch that, Mm -hmm. you see modern representations today and it's, yeah. (laughs) You couldn't get, let's put it this way. You could not make this movie the way Argento made it. In 1975, you could not make that movie today, right? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think that's right. So, was Jackson, was that the only problem you had, or do you have another issue there? Oh, no, I mean, not not with those characters specifically that you were talking about. Definitely with, with Carlo's mother. Uh, there are some logistical errors, I think, uh, with with um, her character. Do we just want to get into it, or are we, are we sticking strictly let's, to the beginning? No, movie? man, let's get into it. We're, okay. we're already all over the place. We've already talked about the rotting corpse inside of drywall. Yeah. We're already into it, man. Let's just jump right in, because let's face it. If we tried to take an Argento plot and speak about it in a linear fashion, we would be here a long time. Mm-hmm. This would Definitely. be an OTC episode, for goodness sake. Because he says he doesn't care about narrative. Uh, so that's coming right from his mouth. Uh, you can't really argue with the guy himself. But, okay, it's an Argento movie. I understand that there are going to be plot holes, since, as mentioned before, he doesn't care about the plot. Right. However... How is Carlo's mother the killer the whole time? I very much doubt that old lady is as agile as her character has to be to kill somebody, run down out of the building and disappear from the crime scene, or, I don't know, drown somebody or or stab people. I really don't feel like this old lady has shown us that she has the muscle to do all that and the agility. I mean, I'm assuming that Carlo is in his 30s, maybe late 20s, which would put her and her, I don't know, or 50s, I cannot see, let's, let's say my grandma, I cannot see her committing the acts that Carlo's mother does. Uh, but again, Argento. Yeah, I'm, I don't know about, I didn't have that much of a problem with, with her being the killer. But then again, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen a sequel to Psycho, Psycho 2, I don't have a problem with that either. But, but uh, Trey, did you have a problem with the, with the reveal of the killer? Was that any problem for you? I just tried not to think about it when it comes to that kind of stuff. And when I was watching this the other day, and I've seen this movie several times, and I still had to kind of play back in parts. Did I miss something? Was there a gap here? And there wasn't. It was just yeah. continuing on. But we're the one thing maybe a little hard to believe, and I know he's kind of in a rush and running in through at the beginning when he's running into the apartment, um, and he doesn't, he just spots the glimpse of her in the mirror and doesn't see her. And then that's revealed later that that was a woman standing in the mirror. Um, That was the part. It's like, well, how could you miss that? How did the police miss that? I mean, well, we've already established the police don't seem to really care. I mean, they're letting a reporter with a, you know, with a old school, you know, Polaroid before they were automatic, just take pictures left and right. I mean, it's, yeah, (laughs) I don't think I'm trying to think if there ever was like an effective police officer in Argent in an Argento movie. And I can't come up with one off the top of my head. Um, But, you know, maybe the folks out there can let me know via Twitter. I can't think of one, but um, 
All right. So before we move off uh, the plot, a couple things. The first is, well, this is would surprise you to know, the first draft of Argento screenplay was over 500 pages long. <laughs> Not at all. It doesn't surprise me at all. It's Argento. I mean, anybody that knows Argento knows that he's like, let's get as much as we can, and whatever people think is entertaining, that's what we'll keep. Uh, he, he very much thought that uh, thought very highly of himself, I feel. So he wanted to get as much of his genius material on screen as possible. Well, and this, I think he earned it. Like when we talked about it, you know, as we're recording this, it hasn't been released yet. It'll be released next week. But when we kicked this off talking about Cat and Nine Tails, we were like, you know, it, 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 we'll go ahead and just say it. I mean, if you haven't listened to the episode, but we liked the movie a lot. But you don't see Argento coming into his own. I think he does here. But, yeah, then he's cut the screenplay down to 300 and some pages, which, if you know anything about screenwriting, it's supposed to be about a page per minute of screen time. So that's, I mean, goodness sakes, that's an epic. But his uh, partners finally got him to cut it down a bit. Well, let me ask you this. Um, is this movie, and... Uh, Try to put yourself back in the shoes in the first time you watched it, if you can. And I know that's tough after you've seen it a couple times. But, Trey, do you find this movie suspenseful or just fun or both? I I mean, I had just watched it earlier this year, too. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like drilled in my head the main ending. But I, I think it's a lot of fun, and I think it still can be suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, you know how it's going to end, but there were still things along the way that I maybe forgot about that I was like, oh, yeah, there's this and this. And um, yeah, I think it can be suspenseful. I think it's mostly just fun giallo at this point for me, though. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jackson? Oh, do we lose him again? Let me check Skype. There you are. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go for it. All right. I do think parts of it are suspenseful and are still effective. Uh, The scene that stands out to me is where Marcus is playing the piano and he hears footsteps and he picks up that statue and the the footsteps are getting closer and closer. And then the phone rings and he runs and he shuts the door and locks it. And then you hear through the door, this time you're safe. That was chilling. That was a suspenseful scene for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I also like the scene where we have the lady in the house. She's starting to run a bath. And we just know she's about to die, but we don't know we don't know how yet. That bathroom scene uh, with with the kill and then the scalding hot water was pretty disturbing to me. Actually, it reminded me a lot of Halloween too. Um, oh, but, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, overall, honestly, the mystery aspect, the crime aspect of this, was honestly less compelling than cat and nine tails it's scarier it's more it's well made but the actual crime part of it i wasn't as invested like when marcus was doing his own little investigation i was like okay marcus just find a place where you can get attacked that that was my mentality when watching this uh but yeah i definitely do think that argento uh earns his name as the italian hitchcock in a few scenes in this movie yeah as for me i uh, when I first saw it, I was not as well versed in Giallo. So I think if you don't know Giallo's well, and it seems to me like a lot of people, their introduction to Giallo's is is, is Argento just because of his reputation. Um, I, I remember seeing it for the first time and thinking it was really suspenseful. I think once you see a number of Giallo's, 
we talked about this in the Cat of Nine Tales episode, Jackson. I mean, you know when somebody's about to get killed. I mean, as soon as they... Trey, I mean, have you noticed this with Giallos? As soon as a minor oh. character picks up a piece of relevant information and goes mm-hmm. off by themselves, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen enough Giallo to know that, yeah, you're going to get it. Yeah, get- as soon as you're alone, right? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's the thing that kicks this whole thing off is the thing that starts the murders is the psychic revealing in the room, like, the thoughts and what she's hearing. And that kind of kicks the whole thing off because without that, we don't have um, Mark getting... Sh- chase down later and um so yeah it's definitely definitely leads you can tell when it's coming yeah 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 i i think that's right but i think if you're like i would love jackson to have watched this uh with you for the first time you know and and i know you've seen a couple giallos but i i do think if you haven't seen a giallo before if you're listening to this if you're a person out there somehow hasn't seen a giallo before you know, this would be a good one. We've already spoiled the heck out of it, but still, it's. I, I think it would be a good one to um, start off on. So, and so here's another question for both of you. Uh, Trey, you first. Do more killers need to bring their own soundtrack with them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I uh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> just let them know it's coming. <laughs> And I love it that it's not like, you know, it's like a serious 70s heavy tape machine, you know? Oh, yeah. And this isn't like an opera when we get those, like, when the killer's on screen, you know, you get that upbeat kind of rock. No, you're getting this this children's song almost, this disturbing little song. But I was thinking about that in the score here because all I can remember are the two songs. And I know the theme, that one gets stuck in my head, but... All I remember hearing is just the theme by Goblin and then this song from this movie. And that's about it. That's the musical taste. And I think you get them on two very different ends of the spectrum. It was funny. We'll get to the score because I definitely want to talk about that. I know, Jackson, but you're right. This is when you're thinking about Argento scores. These are, this is definitely the yin and the yang, right? This is about as far as you can get polar opposites. But uh, what about you, Jackson? You're the aspiring horror filmmaker. Are you going to have a killer that has it brings around his own soundtrack with him? Oh, most definitely. I thought that was the classiest move possible. Uh, and what I thought was so funny, and now this is a theory of mine, okay? The killer, uh, in addition to being a serial killer, is also trying to sell some records. Because if you'll notice, Marcus <laughs> goes out to the record store and buys the vinyl with the, with the song on it. So I'm like, I'm thinking maybe the killer was like, check out my mixtape, man. Uh, and, and was playing it for him. So uh, you think... Take the in the killer's mind. It's like, look, I'm either going to butcher this person or I'm going to make a record sale. Either way, it's win-win. Win-win, exactly. Yeah, that that's that's the move. I think from now on, every killer should bring around a little cassette with them. You know, whatever tape, and uh, it'll be it'll be really great. It could be anything. It could literally be any song. You just start playing some rap with you. I I don't know. Whatever you whatever you're into. Um, but definitely very creepy. I There's something creepy, and I think it's been overdone at this point with, like, Annabelle movies. Something creepy about children's music uh, being played during a horror scene. Uh, but remember, this was back in 1975. It wasn't that common. I know it was in Italian uh, movies, but again, Western cinema was very different from Italian cinema back then and tropes. So kind of an interesting thing to, for me, and one of the first ones to, to really make that iconic, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And 
And it's funny because you mentioned that, you know, with Westerns, of course, we, we talked last time, Cat of Nine Tales, Argento's big, big break kind of into the industry was a screenwriter working with Sergio Leone, who also often used music like that and sometimes very simple tones or children's music or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. So I do want to tell a uh, quick story before we wrap up anything with the plot or the screenplay and move on. Uh, uh, Kyle McLaughlin, the actor Kyle McLaughlin, who played uh, in a bunch of David Lynch movies, was, of course, Dale Cooper and Twin Peaks and all kind of stuff. I saw in an interview once where he stated that uh, David Lynch called him out of the blue one day and asked if he could come over to his house and shoot a few photos. And Kyle agreed. And so Lynch came over and hung a bunch of baby dolls from a noose. This was in the 90s. I wonder where he got that from. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, again, Argento was the filmmaker's filmmaker. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, guys, what else do we want to cover with the plot and the screenplay before we move on to the cast? Trey, what about you? I'm trying to think here. Uh, one thing, maybe not necessarily plot, but have you seen a movie? Maybe a, I know it's hard in the Giallos that has this many memorable things that happen around the murders. That's I a good like, point. Yeah, I feel like everyone just sticks out. You know, you have that first one, and it's the window scene that kind of sticks out in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first thing I think of when I think of Deep Red is that. Um, you've got a scene later on with the bathtub, which is, of, of course, very iconic. And then you've got um, the murder later where the wooden doll kind of comes out. That is freaky, by the way. Did that is I'm am I the only one that would be completely freaky? That guy starts laughing. I would yeah. have to I would have to change my pants. <laughs> oh, 100 percent Oh man. Oh no, you're right. That's a great point. There are some really, you know, I think he does that. And maybe that's what Argento was was thinking, was that because giallos were so popular in Italy and Europe at the time, and Cat of Nine Tails hadn't been a big hit. And and so I, maybe that's what he was doing is trying to spice things up a little bit because you kind of most Italian audiences probably knew, OK, a kill is coming. But then he adds those more memorable characters and stuff going around. So, yeah, that's a very good point. Jackson, what do you think? Uh, uh, concerning what of the many crazy things we've been talking about here, the doll, the, the things surrounding the kills, as far as the doll goes, uh, I think it was uh, – terrifying the most terrifying part of the movie for some reason dolls trigger something in me it's flight or fight or fight um but uh argento as a filmmaker knows how to set up kills we were talking earlier about uh giallos and and you kind of know when a kill is coming sure and when you're watching an argento movie you know when a character is going to be killed but that's not a bad thing because we want to see it we want to see how uh, argento is going to deliver and uh and this movie Especially with a couple of kills, uh, especially, I guess I'll just go ahead and say it, Carlo's kill. Oh, uh, man, yeah. Absolutely iconic. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that, because we've got to talk about some more of the kills in this. So, Jackson, anything else you want to talk about, the plot and the screenplay, before we move on to the cast? I do have some things. Okay, so, um, in the beginning, we have Helga killed by the, by the, by the murderer. Mm-hmm. And just like that, the killer in Deep Red murdered possibly the world's only real psychic 
in the world, right? As if it were nothing. Uh, I love how that supernatural aspect is just totally glossed over. We don't explore that at all. It's over. She's dead, Um, which I thought was really cold on Argento's part. Um, he was he was only touching the supernatural with this one. Obviously, with Suspiria, he would go all in. But I thought that was really funny that he's like, yeah, uh, psychics exist. Uh, we're moving past that. Also, okay, yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, I'm and okay. So, what really baffles me is that you have this great device, right? This woman that can see what's happening happening at any time. You would think that a filmmaker would be like, okay, we're going to use her for, for some things later on. We're going to have her see a kill and, and help Marcus out or, or whatever. No, he just kills her off. That feels like a huge wasted uh, opportunity. But Argenta was like, I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to use that for convenience. I'm going to use it for a kill at the beginning to set the tone, which I thought was great. And uh, a, a really great testament to how, how good the screenplay is. But... Well, no, I, I think that, but don't you think that's part of the psycho influence, the Janet Lee thing? Sure, yeah. yeah. He, like I said, I thought she was going to survive, but she doesn't. And that's exactly, yeah, probably what he was doing. Um, but I got to say, the most disturbing part of this horror movie for me is when Carlo, the drunk guy, says, For me, the piano is a beautiful woman, and I just love to tickle her fanny. Listen, people die in this movie, and that one line was far more disturbing than all of that combined. Oh, I, I've got a more disturbing line than that from Carlo. Okay. When they hear the scream, oh, and he yeah. says, "Oh man, you know what I'm talking about." I do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's not repeated. No, I mean, yeah, let's not repeat that. That is, I'm just like, dude. I, you know what? I've had some friends that have been like fall down drunk, but I have never heard that come out of a person's mouth in my life. I mean, wow. Who? Yeah, it wasn't great. No, 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 no. Not cool, Carlo. Oh, man. All right, what else, Jackson? I have one more thing about Uh, the screenplay, okay? It was funny to me that there are two characters named Carlo and Giordani when the protagonist of Cat of Nine Tails, the thing we talked about last week, was named Carlo Giordani. It was almost (laughs) like he was like, ah, we could think of a new name, but let's just split them up. You know, whatever. Those are stereotypical names. Uh, so every single time Carlo or Gior- Giordani were on screen together, Carlo Giordani was in this movie as well as Cat and Nine Tails, which I thought was funny. Uh, that's, that's literally a nothing note I had because I watched this at like midnight last night, the, my first <laughs> viewing. Uh, but that tickled me pink. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, Argento doesn't strike me as the kind of person who's going to spend a lot of time trying to come up with names. No, but... <laughs> no. Again, he doesn't care about the plot one bit. No, I'm pretty much thinking that 500-page uh, screenplay were a bunch of just shot outlines, you know, because that's really mm-hmm. what he wanted to do. But all right, gents. Trey, anything else before we move on to talk about the cast? I don't think so. All righty. Well, let's talk about the cast. Um, first, we have David Hemmings, uh, an English actor who fo- folks might know from, well, he got his big break in Blow Up, which a lot of people may know. Um, he was an inspector in Murder by Decree, which was a the Bob Clark, Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper uh, movie from the late 70s with Christopher Plummer. He did a lot of TV, including an episode of uh, Tales from the Crypt, a specific episode, Love to Death from 1991. I don't remember that one off the top of my head, but I have the box set, so I need to rewatch it. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Hemmings is not with us anymore. But I thought he was just, I, 
And, and Trey, you brought this up earlier, the dubbing. I mean, yeah, the dubbing in Argento movies is always just awful. You can always tell that it's just always slightly off. But I thought Hemmings brought, he just has that personality to me, Trey, that's just instantly likable. Oh, yeah. Does that absolutely. make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just a great character. And I, and who knows if it's because of the the continuity that, you know, he's doing the voice and you're seeing him on screen. So mm-hmm. he knows what he's doing there when they're going back and redubbing this, which I don't understand why they did Italian <laughs> yeah. cinema. Um, but yeah, great character. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jackson, what did you think of Mr. Hemming's work? I loved his performance as Marcus. His deliveries are my favorite part. I mean, and you know, these lines aren't, aren't the strongest, but I love his delivery, especially, I, I mentioned it earlier, I kind of referenced it, the arm wrestling scene. My favorite line from him in the movie is, that was an absolute elbow off the table. That is a total <laughs> and absolute cheat, because he can't just admit that he lost an arm wrestle. Uh, amazing performances. Uh, he's, he's, he's almost that British gentleman character, but then he gets kind of like petty at points. I don't know. I love his, his performance. I haven't seen him in a whole lot of other stuff. Um, so this is the most memorable performance from him for me, but uh, he's amazing. Yeah, I was kind of shocked he didn't do more. I, I just brought up everything I've seen him in, but he did kind of move into directing later on, so maybe that's why. But I, I thought he was a really talented uh, actor. And then we come to uh, Dario Nicolodi as Gianna. Uh, she and Dario Argento in a long relationship. Uh, she's the mother of uh, Aja uh, Argento. And so she would show back up in Tenebrae, Inferno, Phenomenon, Opera, on and on. Um, uh, Trent, what do you think of Dario Nicolidi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, you know, there's no, no nepotism at all in Dario Argento films. You know, his uh, his brother and his dad aren't producing, and his daughter doesn't star. <laughs> and his girlfriend isn't starring here. Yeah. Um, and it has nothing to do with when they broke up, right? No, right. no, because she after, after they broke up and she disappeared. That had nothing to do with it. From films altogether, it seemed like. Um, <laughs> but no, I think she does a great job here. Um, not quite as good as the lead here, but I, no, yeah, I think she still does a pretty good job. There's some weird moments there when she first walks into the crime scene, and I, there's a little line there, and I was like, oh, that's kind of kind of seems weird or out of place, but. Um, I think overall did a very good job in this as well. Yeah. Yeah. Jackson, what about, what about you? Nepotism aside, what do you think? And, and by the <laughs> way, I'm, I'm all for nepotism. If you, if you become a Steven Spielberg, yes. so just say, I will cast you in every movie. There you go. <laughs> but uh, I thought she was good. Not as, not as good, not even close to as good in my opinion as David Hemmings. She had her moments though. Certainly mm-hmm. my favorite moment from her is when she's talking to Marcus and uh, she's like, when can I see next? And he's like, never. And she's like, how about, how about tonight? How about this evening? Uh, which I thought, I thought was great. She's got some good lines and she has one standout scene for me, which is when she stabbed. Uh, and I thought it was pretty oh, emotional. Yeah. And I feel like Argento gave her that treatment. She gave, gave her that scene because he, you've got to impress her, right? Got to keep her on his good side. Uh, but it was probably the most dramatic, like most 
uh, heart-wrenching death scene. He didn't really give that to any other characters. Human life is not treated with a lot of decency in Argento movies, but uh, for that one part, she didn't die, but she I guess she went to a, a coma or whatever. Um, it, it was very emotional, and I, I was almost moved to tears. Not quite, but, but Argento almost had me there. So overall, I'd, I'd say it's a good performance. I haven't seen her in anything else um, that I can think of. Maybe I've seen her in other Argento movies. Oh, yeah. I Everything up, I, I think up till opera, and then that's about when they broke up. And then, yep. uh, as mm-hmm. Trey and I were saying, he, yep. she just kind of disappears. Oh, well, of course, she's in Suspiria, so I'm sure I've seen her in that. I don't know what, who, what character she played. I don't remember her. but I think it's a much smaller role. Okay. All right. Um, see, I didn't remember her. But I wasn't blown away with her, but she, she served her purpose, and she, she delivered the lines pretty well. Yeah. So then we have um, somebody I was really shocked didn't do more in film. He's done a lot and he's still with us. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly because my Italian is terrible. But uh, Gabriel Lavia as Carlo. Um, He was in Beyond the Door, which horror fans will know. He would show up again in Argento's Inferno. But he's most well known as a theater actor and a director in... Italy, but I don't know. Trey, I was shocked he didn't do more film because I thought he was really good as Carlo. You? Yeah, um, those problematic lines aside. That yeah. But I mean, he's just reading the lines he has. Uh, but I think he does a very good job of playing a very sympathetic character. You understand mm. why he's kind of had the life he had and why he is the way he is, kind of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's, but uh, I just, I... I did think other than that opening scene where he's drunk and and being highly inappropriate that, you know, every other time we meet him, he does come across as a very sympathetic character. And then when it all comes together, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, you watched your your dad murdered by your mom and and she's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So now I, (laughs) I, I, I get it. Yeah. So I would love to have seen him in more stuff, though, wouldn't have you? Yeah, absolutely. But. I don't know. It seems like a lot of these movies from the 70s and 80s, I'll watch them like that person's great. And then go to look what else they're in. And it's just nothing. Yeah, gone. And I haven't heard maybe, you know, I need to uh, watch some more special features. But, you know, when Jackson and I covered Fulci, Fulci literally drove a lot of actors out of the business because he was he could be, you know, well, he could be a pain in the butt. And so. Um, but I haven't heard that about Argento. I haven't heard any, you know, I've never heard an actor or actress complain about him. Have you, Trey? Not that I know of. He's not known as like one of the tough directors in the industry or anything. Yeah, I haven't heard that. What about you, Jackson? What do you think of, uh, of the actor who played Carlo? And, uh, would you like to see him in more or you got enough? Oh, I mean, I thought he was great. Um, Probably the second best performance, just under David Hemmings. And maybe if he was given more screen time, he could have been just as good, if not better. Uh, The scenes where he is more sympathetic, I thought he was fantastic, but I even thought he was good in his introduction. Uh, You know... He, again, he's being given the lines that he's that he's uh, that he's been given, and and he can't he can't control the problematic you know things he screams out. Uh, and back then, it wasn't even a problem for him. So I don't know why he wasn't given more roles. Obviously, he was in Inferno, um, mm-hmm. playing a character named Carlo. Yep. Interestingly <laughs> enough, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Uh, it Have seems I, like we're, they, we're noticing a pattern here. Yeah. Yeah. They just thought he looked like a Carlo, I guess, so they cast him again as that. 
Um, but I, I would have liked to see him get more work. But again, it's that thing where back in the 70s, everybody was appearing in movies, it seems. Everybody tried their hand at movies at least once. Uh, rock stars, politicians, everybody was trying to be in a movie. And uh, I guess, I mean, he just didn't get that many parts, and that's the unfortunate reality of it. Yeah, same thing happened in Hollywood. Unfortunately, you had everyone from Joe Namath to, you know, Bubba Smith in the football world and all that kind of stuff, trying their hand at, at acting, Olivia Newton-John and all that other kind of stuff. But so apparently that was not just in Hollywood. That was in Europe as as well. So who else on the cast do we want to do we want to talk about here? Trey, anybody stand out to you? Um, I'm trying to think now. Helg is the psychic, correct? Right. Sorry, and I apologize. I did not write down names that's okay. going through this. But yeah, I think, um, especially to what Jackson was talking about earlier, just that scene in the apartment or the flat there uh, mm-hmm. where she's on the phone and it's kind of like an uneasy feeling. And I think that's a very good performance for the time that she was on screen. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I thought everybody, even Carlo's, mom who i i didn't take a note about her but i saw that she had she had a long career in italian you know um cinema and so and argento had that kind of thing you can see why carpenter looked up to him so much because argento would do that thing that carpenter would do and others would do was they you know if there was a actor that really kind of struck their fancy from the 50s and 60s wasn't working much kind of you know bring them in and all other kind of stuff and like he did with when he couldn't get christopher lee or pitting cushing he goes after donald pleasance but <clears throat> yeah i thought the entire cast was was solid anybody else you want to bring up jackson yeah uh the woman who played you, you mentioned carlo's mom i thought that at the end especially she was her her look was was great. She was really intimidating. Uh, she her eyeliner was kind of streaking down, which was foreshadowed before. I can't believe we didn't see it. Uh, we get those close ups of the eye with the eyeliner, uh, and we oh, do see. Oh, that's true. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. In the scenes with uh, with uh, Marcus visiting her, she did have eyeliner on, so it was a little bit of foreshadowing. Even even though we saw her face in the beginning, and it did, just didn't register with us, we were also given that hint. Uh, near the beginning as well. So it wasn't as out of the blue as Cat and Ninetales reveal. But um, yeah, I thought she was pretty good. Um, she was very intimidating for the one and a half minutes she was a serial killer in the in the movie. <laughs> um, and her kill was very memorable. Uh, not quite as memorable as Carlo, I would say, and not quite as well executed. But it is a great way to end the movie off. Well, that brings us, let's talk about the kills and the special effects. So we already said now, Helga, I, I, if I'm following what you were saying, Trey, I'm kind of with you. It's like there is that one second where you can tell in Helga's kill that it's a mannequin. But other than that, and of course, this becomes kind of an Argento trope, the, the going through the glass and, and everything. That, you know, I, you got to give it to Argento. It's not just, you know, quick stab, whatever. He's kind of gone past that after Cat of Nine Tails. And with the exception of the one second that looks like a mannequin, Helga's kill is pretty brutal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you just think of uh, Mark's character standing there in the street looking up at the window. Mm-hmm. That. And that's, that's the image that's kind of always burned into my head for that one. Oh, absolutely. Because that's such a strong, you know, opening kind of kind of kill so and but then we go on and jackson you brought this we can bring all kinds of stuff and i will come back i do want to talk about uh 
the bathtub thing here in a minute. But the first one is, you know, here we have Carlo. Carlo is, as we said, a fairly sympathetic character, at least when he's not just totally three sheets to the wind. And so, but man, the way he's taken out, <laughs> that's, that's not in a very sympathetic manner. I mean, dang God, that one is just, oh, Trey, thoughts on that? Because that, and that's, it's not a quick kill, right? No, well, yeah, and you see, you see him stumbling out into the street and it kind of just, like you're talking about earlier, just Argento developing these major oh. set pieces. And it's just, he's stumbling, you know, on the garbage truck, then he falls down, then he gets hooked to the garbage truck, then he's dra dragged across the street, hits a pole, and finally, when it comes to a stop, his head is ran over by a... Oh, a car. man. Just, just like, just, in agony. It's just brutal, the poor guy. I mean, oh, man. Jackson, what did you think of that kill? I thought it was amazing. It's almost Final Destination levels. Yes, of, of yes. That kind of kill with all, it's like so many different levels, and it almost reminded me of Trauma, of something that that Trauma would do. This guy getting hooked onto a garbage truck, hitting curbs and and uh, and lights along the way, then getting crushed by a car. Uh, it, it was a little over the top, but it was that perfect thing that the movie needed to really win me over. Where I was like, okay, Argento's pretty cool. Uh, because even though I like Carlo's character, um, after he admitted that he was he was in on it, uh, he basically had to die, as according to Giallo rules. Um, and what a way to go out. That was my favorite kill of the Man. movie. Uh, and the way they achieved it, especially the final head crush, I heard Joe Bob talking about it, uh, his head was... Uh, originally, Argento wanted to just run a car up to the actor's head and, and stop right before hitting it. Uh, but the actor was like, no, 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 no. Just put the put the tire right by my head, then reverse away from my head, then reverse that footage. That's a much better idea. And Argento was like, oh, okay, well, may maybe that's a better idea. Um, but, uh, yeah, that could have gone very tragically, and perhaps that kill wouldn't have made it into the movie because it would have been all too real. Uh, but uh, amazing kill. This whole movie's full of amazing kills. Great special effects. We see more than Cat of Nine Tails, so I appreciate it for that. And would it shock either of you to learn that Cronenberg has apparently admitted that Carlos kill was the inspiration for scanners. No. And I think I already knew this ahead of time. Um, but yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Oh man. Cause yeah, you can't forget that. Right. I mean, especially if you're a guy like Cronenberg and you see that on screen and he saw it on the big screen, you're sitting there going, Oh, I got to do something with that, especially if you're a guy <laughs> like Cronenberg. So, oh, uh, so, so then we move on to another because I want to talk about especially these kills and their influence later. So we already talked about the doll moving in on the professor, mm -hmm. which I remember thinking um, this time around. I didn't, of course, I didn't think this. The '80s was too early. I was thinking. So the guys who made Saul. Obviously, we're deep red fans. It was, am I the only one thinking that when he's a Trey? No, <laughs> no, you're not. And yeah, it's just all over the place. And you think like when people are thinking about slashers, they're what thinking about Halloween and Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. But you've got things like Deep Red and 
uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all that before this, mm-hmm. I think a lot of those films not only drew like from Halloween, but drew from from these and Deep Red, especially like the bathtub scene. I'm sure we'll get into yes. it. Yes. Yeah. With the Halloween two kind of. Yes. Parallel. Because Rick. Ro- uh, yeah. Halloween two's director, Rick Rosenthal, has stated that that's where he and Carpenter and Deborah Hill, that's where they got it from. That the that the hot tub scene in the hospital um, in Halloween 2 d- is directly lifted from Deep Red. And, of course, Carpenter was an Argento fan. But building on what you're saying, Trey, I mean, Jackson, it, you know, are, it doesn't surprise you now as a, an aspiring filmmaker that how much influence, you know, as like Trey was saying, so many people want to start the influence with the slasher from 78 on. But when you're looking at Deep Red or you're looking at Texas Chainsaw, as Trey said, or you're looking at Bay of Blood mm-hmm. from Bava, I mean, yep. all of them highly influential on slashers, right? Am I wrong, buddy? It doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, uh, Argento was so influential, he secondhand influenced things because uh, the bathroom kill from this influenced Halloween 2. And then that kill from Halloween 2 influenced the uh, scene from Jason X where he dips the person's head into the, uh, <laughs> the what is that, dry ice? The, 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 uh, fro- the stuff freezes yeah. their face. That reminded me a lot of that. So I feel like it's secondhand influence there. Two generations of influence, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, it doesn't surprise me one bit. Actually, one thing reminded me of Tarantino in this movie. And I was and such since mm. Tarantino is such a great movie buff, I was like, maybe he got this from it. Uh, when the professor is killed, his face is like battered up against wood edges and stuff, oh. which reminded me of Cliff killing the Manson family in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because he does that that exact same move. So I'm wondering if possibly this movie influenced Tarantino. Oh well. Tarantino has admitted, you know, that good poets borrow, great poets steal. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. But, yeah, that's the one thing I want to go out on because I don't know. I know Fulci's got a thing about eyes, and I don't like things around my eyes either. Oh, but that idea of just that smashing of teeth, that just yeah. runs up my spine. So, Trey, what about that kill, man? That is brutal. Oh, it's just brutal. There's no mercy there. Um, yeah, Uh, you just uh, have the doll kind of setting you off in that release of tension. And then it's just after that, it's mm -hmm. just, it's it's unrelenting because it's not once or twice. It's like four or five times, man. Uh, And then, and then the knife to the back of the neck, which was so gruesome, it goes straight Uh, through him. Uh, totally overkill. I feel like on the part of the killer, but, uh, I, I do not uh, I'm not mad at Argento one bit because that was an awesome effect. Well, all I can say is Carlo's mom. She's been swinging the kettlebells, man. She's been yeah, uh, for real. <laughs> she's she's uh, she's doing some CrossFit. Um, well, anything else we want to talk about the special effects or the kills here? Um, I was thinking. So one thing I had read is Argento actually performed all of these murders on set like he's the one on the other side of the camera from the pov ver uh the view there and that just kind of reminded me since we're talking about the um influences of the story about hitchcock in the shower with janet lee kind of stabbing after to kind of get the reaction that he wanted um that definitely makes me think that argento was a huge hitchcock fan Oh, I think you're right. I think, you know, we've talked about the psycho influence, but also 
Um, you know, you had so many European filmmakers at that time in, in the 60s and 70s, you know, Truffaut and, and so forth. They all looked up to Hitchcock, right? I mean, that was that was their guy. And so, yeah, I definitely think that that's, that's right. Especially because Argento, you know, he was saying... Um, what I read was, ah, it would take too much time to show the actors what I want anyway, so I'll just jump in and do it. And that's what, and Hitchcock would do that a lot, right? He would just yep. jump in and, you know, instead of like in the scene in Psycho where Janet Lee is driving and Hitchcock's literally off just to the side right out of camera saying the things that are going to be done in ADR, the voiceovers, he's reading it off the script so he makes sure that he gets the reaction he wants from Janet Lee, and so... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So there you go, Jackson. There's your there's your lesson as an aspiring filmmaker. If you want something done right, like killing somebody, you got to do it yourself. Yes, I will definitely take lead from Argento on that one. And actually, that that made me think about something. So Argento is the one doing the kills, uh, which also means he's in the POV shops like at the very beginning when he's in the bathroom uh, after coming from the psychic. So that lady, that old lady was in the men's bathroom, right? Are we just going to skip over that? And that guy, that guy didn't say anything about that. He said, are you okay? Are you sick? Then he just walked away like as if nothing happened. So I think that that might have been an oversight. That well, to be yeah. fair, to be fair. All right. So again, we got to go back to the time capsule thing, right? Folks, you know, folks listening out there, especially younger folks, you got to remember that, you know, there was a time when there, you know, there was you know, biological gender bathrooms, but that's not the case here. Did you see what it said over the bathroom? Oh, really? Was it explained? I must have missed it. Did it say, it, like... Water closet. Oh, so it was, okay. It was a generic restroom. Okay, I Just see. Just a generic restroom, yeah. Oh, all right. That's clever. That I, doesn't excuse the fact that that is obviously a man's hands and there's leather gloves, but still. Uh, <laughs> it, it's almost like Tom Savini in Friday the 13th, where you can obviously help his assistant. Yeah that's, yeah, that's Tasso's hands, you know. Yeah, why would Mrs. Voorhees have such hairy hands? Yeah. Yeah, Betsy, uh, Betsy was not very happy about that. Um, well, all right, moving on from the kills. I don't even think I have to ask opinions here, but the editing and cinematography, to me, this is where Argento came into his own. I mean, if you look at Bird with Crystal Plumage, you look at Four Flies on Grey Velvet, you look at Cat of Nine Tails. I like all those movies, but to me, Trey, going to you first, this is a huge step up for Argento, right? Absolutely. This is his springboard, kind of. You're thinking about the Animal Trilogy there, and it's mm -hmm. definitely rough in places. But yeah. you see Deep Red, and you can just tell it's a much better film. You don't even have to be paying that close of attention. And then, you know, that launches kind of further what he would do later on, and it's just kind of hit after hit after there. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy... You know, let's give the guy props, and we're doing a tribute to him for a reason, but, I mean, in my opinion, yeah, he did three good movies, and then from here, especially until 1989 with opera, it was just boom, 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 boom. It was just masterpiece after masterpiece after masterpiece. You agree with that, Trey? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can tell I kind of relate his career to carpenter almost because there's mm -hmm. just a streak there where he does no wrong yeah exactly carpenter goes you can argue you know gilman joel would say 76 with assault on precinct 
13 others would say 1978 up to you know 85 to 88 or whatever it was just yeah just no whiffs i mean yeah there were some box office problems but man looking back it was incredible so jackson what about you you've seen cat of nine tails now comparing that to deep red do you see the huge jump in skill and craftsmanship here oh most definitely yeah this is like the quintessential uh Argento movie not quite as colorful or quite as crazy as Suspiria would be or his later movies but this is like pure Argento you got the crazy camera work the weird editing you got lots of camera movement uh, which I don't feel like we got as much of that with Cat of Nine Tails so you can really see some development there um, we see his use of color for the first time used inventively again not as colorful as uh, as Suspiria would be but I feel like a lot of that comes down, honestly, to Argento always finding the best locations. I mean, like, we praise his use of color, but a lot of that comes down to his costume designers and location scouts. I'm starting to feel like Argento's greatest skill is assembling an amazing crew. He somehow knows how to always do that with each production. Um, but yeah, th- this is the quintessential Argento film. It's it's everything a giallo, well, maybe what a giallo should be. It's, it's kind of got some supernatural stuff in it, so you can't quite call it a true giallo. But uh, I do think that this is this is definitely Argento becoming uh, comfortable with his style. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And so um, so anything we want to say about cinematography, editing, technical aspects before we talk about the music, because we got to talk about the music in this thing some more. We've touched on it, but we we have got to talk about anything else, guys. No, just that I couldn't agree with Jackson more on that, about the quintessential kind of Argento and really Italian horror film, the things that are going on in this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So this is, now we get Argento, Argento teaming up with Goblin, baby. And so I was watching this today, believe it or not, over lunch, and I was sitting here and my wife was home working. She's never seen this movie. I tried to tell her to go in the other room. She wouldn't listen to me. The only thing she liked in this movie was every time the music came on, she started moving back and forth (laughs) and she loved it. So Trey, are you a fellow Goblin fan? Oh, Goblin's amazing. Um, Goblin's maybe only second to some of the Carpenter scores. Yes. Yeah. I love Goblin. It's a shame that they didn't get a partner with Argento even more. But yeah, that theme in this in this movie is just great. Uh, it was a, just a marriage made in horror heaven as far as I'm concerned. So, all right, Jackson, you're also a musician. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion about Goblin and the soundtrack here, buddy? I dig Goblin so much. <laughs> Listen, Gob- this is a great soundtrack. I, uh, but honestly, they had such a great career that this is just one of their, uh, their great soundtracks. And the interesting thing is it seems like Goblin's lineup was always changing. Like some movies, it would just be a couple members of Goblin, mm-hmm. uh, but they would always deliver uh, quality work like Suspiria, this movie, obviously, but Suspiria, Dawn of the Dead, some versions of Dawn of the Dead that didn't have stock music in them. Yuck. Uh, yeah. But go- yeah. the Goblin yeah. score is the way to watch it. Uh, Tenebrae, Contamination, which honestly doesn't, it, the score is, is, is the most original part of that movie uh and even sleepless which is a later argento movie um i just want to ask you okay how proud of me would you be dad if i learned the deep red theme on bass because i noticed there is a groovy bass line there is i i i would dig that yeah you got to do that put a video up on youtube and 
put it up for our Patreons or thing if you can learn that. So if you can learn, you've learned enough Metallica, you should be able to get Goblin. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. and the, they're, the thing is about Goblin, they're not the most like technically complex players, but th- their melodies are so iconic. Everything, and they're chilling. They're a little over the top in some places. Argento loves to just throw in music to create suspense in random places. Like, uh-oh, his, his, he made a creak in the floorboards. Time for a whole band to come in and play him out. <laughs> uh, but I love it so much. It gives each one of these movies so much uh, character and uh, goblin rules. That's all I can say. I agree. But, I, it, you know, yeah, technically, like I said, I don't think I agree with you, but I, I, you know, Trey brought up John Carpenter, same thing, right? I mean, it's not really that hard. Most Carpenter scores are not that, you know, they're not that technical either. It's not like Dream Theater or something yeah. like that, trying to play <laughs> that. But it's it, it just fits so well. And I think that was what Carpenter and Goblin do so amazing. And, oh, man, could, could you imagine if we'd had that kind of mashup? That's what we needed. We needed a John Carpenter Goblin mashup. That's what we needed, man. So, yeah. all right. So, all right. What else do we want to talk about with Deep Red? Anything else on, uh, on in your notes there, Trey, that uh, you want to talk about? I was thinking, and this just kind of got me thinking, as Argento as a whole has kind of an obsession with animals, it seems like, in his films. Mm-hmm. Because we have the animal trilogy early on, and then here we get into this one, and we've got the scene with the um, the birds in the apart in the house there later on with the bathtub scene. Um, and, and, the just, li- and the lizard on the ground. The lizard, the little girl oh. putting the lizard on the ground. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something weird going on there. I've never been yeah. able to figure that out. You have any theories on that? You have you psychoanalyzed uh, Argento Trey there? Because I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I think that would take a lot of time to cycle in. <laughs> but no, it's like that. And I'm thinking of later films, you know, he gets into opera, of course, with all the crows and mm-hmm. uh, Suspiria with the dog. And it's just like, there's something there about him having animals involved in his kill scenes. And yeah, yeah it's just something a little unsettling. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, you're right. And he uses that to, to, pretty powerfully now that I'm thinking about it. I, I'd always kind of noticed that, but I'd never really thought it through that, you know, the, the theme. And of course I did read in the trivia though. I haven't confirmed this by watching like special features or anything that originally he wanted to name this something like saber tiger or something like that. Yeah. And yep. so, okay. All right. So I'm not off there. That's, that's what I heard. Okay. Oh, you're... All right. So that's what I thought. All right. Well, Jackson, what about you? What else do you want to talk about here with uh, deep red? You touched on the thing with the lizard uh, who's been speared. What is with that creepy? I, I, in my in my notes, I wrote creepy serial kid alert. I mean, that's like Rob Zombie's <laughs> Halloween, the beginning of Michael Myers. Uh, like, I think her name is Nicoletta Elmi. She's like this juvenile, demented town guide. I don't know what's going on with her character, uh, but I feel like there was something there, possibly. Um, like she's into the occult. What, what's she being set up to do? Nothing. She doesn't appear. She's in like three or four scenes and then she's gone. I feel like it was just Argento like, Ooh, look at, Oh, it's so creepy. It's, it's disturbing. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I thought that was kind of a, a weird curveball. but, uh, yeah, they actually killed that lizard. That lizard is in fact dead. They speared it right to the neck. Is that a real death? That's that's yep. that's for real. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, the 70s were a wild time, man. You could do whatever you want. So the credits of this movie cannot truthfully claim no animals were harmed in the making of this movie because they most certainly were. Thankfully, the crows or the birds in that one scene, that one that gets speared, I don't think that was a real bird getting speared on that uh, knitting needle or whatever that was. Uh, but, But knowing Argento, I mean, I honestly wouldn't put that past him. Yeah, there's something going on. I think Trey's on to something. There's something he's got a phobia or, you know, something's going on there that I can't figure out. But I, I'm an animal lover. I couldn't I couldn't do that. I mean, heck, we've had, you know, Jackson, I was telling you this the other day, we've had in the last year seven bats invade our mm-hmm. house somehow. And so and I finally figured out where they're coming from and I got a got a humane extraction specialist coming to take the bats out and i hate bats i love animals but i can't even harm a bat but man i can't believe he actually killed the lizard dude dad gone um all right well i never i never i always claimed argento was a technical genius i never claimed he was a moral you know (laughs) upright moral human being so <laughs> oh man. All right. So anything else we want to talk about before we move on to our ratings and recommendations with Deep Red? Um, I was gonna throw just one other fun fact out there. Okay. Um you see this movie was set in Turin, Italy. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But the reason Argento apparently set it there was it was the second largest population of Satanist in Europe at that time. <laughs> really? Yes, uh, Lyon, France. Man, wow! Yeah. yeah, so that's apparently why he set the movie in in Turin, Italy. Wow! 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 Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> Argento's maybe a little more off his rockers than we than we gave him credit for before. <laughs> I always knew Fulci was crazy because all you know, Fulci's entire cast and crew claimed he was crazy, but I did. I just never heard anything about Argento, but he's. He's apparently got some, uh, okay, you know. He's got some demons to work out, for sure. He's, <laughs> he's got some issues. He's got, I mean, we've all got issues, but he's, he's got some issues. But all right, but hey, guy's about to turn 80 years old, so, you know, best to him. All right, well, let's talk about our ratings and recommendation on a scale of 1 to 10 and, and whether or not this is a rent stream or, or buy. Trey, you're the guest. What do you say? Yeah, I think I went up and down on this over the years as I've watched it. Again, but I think this viewing, um, I think I'm going to come in around a nine on this. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it's definitely a must uh, buy. But I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't just buy it sight unseen if you haven't uh, experienced much Italian horror or mini giallo. Um, but definitely a buy if you're into this kind of stuff. So stream it on Shutter or Prime first and then see yep. if it's your thing. And then I, okay, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Jackson, what about you? Uh, I'm coming in pretty much the same. 8.5 out of 10 for me. This is my third viewing of it. Uh, I would say good acting, writing, and dubbing You know, for an Argento movie. I think it does go a little too long, like two, 10 minutes too long, maybe near the middle. Uh, and the mystery was less interesting, Cat, Cat of Nine Tales. But this is, this is the quintessential Argento movie, as I mentioned before. Um, I think the deaths were awesome. And technically, I think it's fantastic. So yeah, 8.5 out of 10. I would say stream it on Shudder and buy it if you're interested in the special features. Yeah, and I am interested in the in the special features. Um, when I went through the horror movies of 1976, this edged out The Omen by a hair for my favorite horror movie of 1976. 
I give it a nine out of 10 and I call it a buy. So I think we're all right there. So yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, you got to check it out. So, well, we can, uh, you can probably guess folks what's up next for us, but, uh, We'll make that definite in a moment, but we want to thank our Patreon supporters who are helping put an aspiring horror director through film school. And you can sign up for as little as $2.50 a month. We put up bonus content at least once a month. And you can even pick the themes of those episodes, etc. There are different tiers there. So that being said, Trey, thanks so much for joining us. And where can they find you online, man? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Trey, under, Trey W underscore 73. Um, and then on Letterboxd at Trey W, I believe. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. So, folks, you can find us on fatherandsonwatchhorror.com or on Twitter as Father and Son Horror and on Instagram. And we have a closed Facebook page. Jackson, where can they find you online, buddy? On Twitter, Matt Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K A I N E underscore Hero 12. On Letterboxd, Matt Kane Hero. That's one word. And I've got a YouTube channel, which is which it's linked in every single thing. It's floating around. You've probably seen it. I don't know. <laughs> so, all right, folks, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as uh, Pastor Matt R. Trey, thanks again for your support and for being on, man. This was a lot of fun. It was great. So, and folks, next time we will continue our tribute to Dario Argento with Suspiria from 1977, of course. So, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And Jackson, say goodbye to good people. Goodbye, and if you ever feel like an utter and complete failure, just remember that Deep Red was neither the deepest nor the reddest Argento movie of the 70s. <laughs> That's a good point. All right, folks, so until next time, remember the family that watches horror together slays together. See ya.